0: What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett. The acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh I'm not acting.
1: <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle.
0: This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Mortada El Welcome to Sundays with Kate, the podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. Every week, we choose a Kate Blanchett film and discuss it with a guest. And today, we are discussing a retreat of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. A homage to the pop music of 1980s Welsh sensation, Bolly Tyler. <laughs> we are talking about bandits. And for this conversation, I'm very happy and excited to welcome back to the podcast the host of the and the runner-up is podcast kevin jacobson kevin how are you
1: yes martada thank you for having me back for this very specific period of time where i'm not as busy (laughs) so (laughs) thank you you good timing
0: (laughs) yes yes kevin as some of you might know of course um does a lot of stuff about the Oscars for the Gold Derby site. And we are recording this um, in those five days between the closing of the Oscar nominations before the announcement.
1: Yes. So, good timing, truly.
0: (laughs) And if you remember, Kevin was my guest for the first time for Truth. And I was just thinking about when we recorded that it was also on a Friday morning, like today, and it was the weekend that the lockdown was announced. So it's really exactly a year ago. Wow.
1: <laughs> I didn't even realize that. That is wild.
0: <laughs> so um, forget about the lockdown, but we're celebrating you and I talking about Kate Blanchett again,
1: our first year yes. anniversary,
0: putting it on the podcast.
1: <laughs> I love it. We should make this a yearly tradition. <laughs> yes,
0: absolutely. We're here to talk about Bandits, and Bandits is this movie that was released in 2001. It was directed by Barry Levinson. It stars Kate, Bruce Willis, Billy Bob Thornton, Jane Fonda's son, Troy Garrity, and in a small role, and in one of her earliest roles, Mad Men's January Jones. (laughs) The movie is about these two bank robbers, played by Willis and Thornton, who fall in love with this housewife who's really bored and looking for adventures so kate plays kate wheeler um and she is this housewife who is in this boring marriage who is not making a connection with her husband and then meets these two by chance and they are bank robbers and hilarity ensues do you think that's a fair assessment of the plot
1: I would say so, on paper, yes. <laughs> Depending on your uh, definition of hilarity, I suppose. <laughs> yes, we'll talk about your Mileage we'll talk, may vary.
0: Yes, yes, we'll talk about the humor in that movie. The one thing that I, you know, I always ask about how Kate is introduced, and this is one of those movies that make us wait for Kate. So oh, yeah. Bruce Willis and Billy Bob Thornton, in the very first scene, as I said, they're bank robbers. They are robbing a bank in that very first scene but they are surprisingly not talking about the money they're stealing or the people they're holding hostage they're talking about this mysterious woman Kate Wheeler and how she is the reason that they are in the conundrum they are in and then we have to wait another 35 minutes for Kate Blanchett to appear as Kate Wheeler which is a very long time when you when you're watching a movie just to watch Kate Blanchett
1: yeah, <laughs> that is how exactly my thought process. I'm like, where is Kate?
0: <laughs> so, Kevin, was this your first time watching this movie or have you seen it before?
1: This was my first time watching Bandits, I have uh, to say. It it's one of those movies that I was definitely aware of. It feels like one of those movies that was probably on cable a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, one of those classic sort of uh Barry Levinson, Middle of the Road. You throw it on TV and leave it on in the background. And, uh, you know, if you don't think about it too much, it passes the time, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah, that is exactly
0: what it is. I have seen this movie before, but I had no recollection whatsoever of this movie. The only thing I know is that this is one of, like, that scene of Kate in the kitchen singing or lip-syncing, basically, to Bonnie Tyler's holding out for a hero is a scene that I've seen a million times. It's also a gif that I've seen a million times. Just, like, people share that a lot. Not the actual scene or the lip-syncing, but just her sort of dancing in gif form. That is the most memorable thing
1: from this movie. Yeah, that is the cultural impact of Bandits, I suppose. (laughs) That's the lasting legacy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, that's not, not small. There are a lot of movies that actually don't even have that last thing for them. Um, Some of them we've discussed on this pod, (laughs) (laughs) but true. (laughs) So if you're watching this movie to watch the lip sync scene, I have to tell you it comes early on. So not too early. It's the first time that Kate appears. So like 35, 40 minutes into the movie, that's her opening scene. She is in the kitchen. She's lip syncing and dancing and cooking to um, Bonnie Tyler is holding out for a hero. Um, then her husband comes and, and he's like, what are you cooking? And it's like this elaborate meal that she explains. And then he's like, oh, I'm going to the gym. And then I have some other meeting later. And, and you can see her deflated. So she decides to go out and then she's in the car and we get it again. This time she's lip syncing to total eclipse of the heart. She is a Bonnie Tyler enthusiast.
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, haven't we all been there? You know, <laughs> Both of these songs, really, I must say. And
0: these two scenes are really the highlight of the movie. The scene in the car with the totally cliff of the heart becomes that she runs into Billy Bob Thornton and sort of rams him with the car. And then he gets in the car and she's trying to drive him to the hospital. Then he takes her hostage and that's how she meets these two bank robbers. And that scene is the comic highlight, both for the movie and for Kate. So it comes early and it's all downhill from there.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say that, like, not to get too far ahead, but I know this was classified as a comedy at the Golden Globes. Mm -hmm. And like, up to that point, I was just wondering, like, where is the comedy? I'm not really seeing a lot of comedy here. It just seems like a regular crime maybe drama, even thriller with like a hint of comedic elements. But then Kate comes in and we're like, okay, here we go. This is where the more overt comedy comes in. And she just really comes in like a hurricane, really, I think.
0: Yes, Um, I know. Um, That scene is so, she's doing so many things. She's driving, she's lip syncing. Then she's trying to deal with the fact that she might have hit and harmed this man, but she's also trying to get him to the hospital, but then he's like, "I'm a robber." Takes out a gun. The funniest thing in that scene to me is how unfazed she is when he takes out a, the gun and he's like, "I'm holding you hostage. Take me to this place or whatever." She's like, "Yeah, I'll go with you. Where are you going? I'll take you wherever." <laughs> and that is, she's so funny in that scene. You pull over, and, and you pull over, and get out of the car. don't we'll have to get all huffy about it. you, you, you need to pull the car over. It, 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 it was an accident. Listen, I'll sh- I'll shoot you with this thing. Oh, go ahead. But be it believe me. I- I'm a desperate man. Desperate? Yes. You don't know the meaning uh. of the word. Desperate is when you wake up in the morning and you wish you hadn't. It's knowing that every time you get behind the wheel of a car, you're only a tree away from ending the empty charade that your life has become. So don't talk to me about desperate.
1: I have to say, I don't know how you feel about um, American Hustle, but... I enjoyed. it. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, watching this performance of hers, that Cate Blanchett and bandits invented Jennifer Lawrence in American Hustle.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, I love that. Tell me that more. Is,
1: that is how I felt watching this performance, where it's like, you know, in American Hustle, where Jennifer Lawrence is like cleaning her house and she's doing the live and let die lip sync situation like it's very kind of heightened and over the top and she has like this beautiful wig um it's just it's just like this infusion of energy in the middle of this sort of crime narrative that uh i don't know i feel like maybe jennifer lawrence watched this performance and was like i'm gonna do that or maybe david o russell made her watch it and said you do that i don't know you never know but um
0: that's actually, uh, you know, I haven't thought of that, but that is totally spot on because it's the same mm-hmm. sort of like over the top woman whose world is maybe small, but she's so much bigger than the world she, she inhabits yeah. and lives in. And, and so
1: she she's just so willing to just go with anything. Yeah. You know, it's, like she just throws herself into these situations. Yes. <laughs> but, and yeah. goes
0: into these flights of fancy. And it, it's right. great. One thing that I really loved about this movie is that as the story goes on, so she becomes enamored of both these men, of both Bruce Willis and Billy Bob Thornton. At, at first, it's uh, Bruce Willis. They um, bond again over Bonnie Tyler lyrics. That's another cute scene where yeah. they're, um, they're in bed, but there's a partition between them. But then the partition falls because Bonnie Tyler lyrics made them do it. It's very cute. Um, so he's, so the first, <laughs> he's the first <laughs> one of them that she gets with. But then again, she gets with Billy Bob Thornton.
1: Yeah, she she's loving on both of them. And I love that the film doesn't really judge her for it, you know?
0: Yeah, this is the f- best thing about this movie. I can't think of another American studio film that's on the side of polyamory. So this is the first time that I've seen it. And this was a big studio film. Metro Goldenmire, Barry Levinson, like, um, so... That's new and exciting and it happened in 2001, but never since.
1: <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Unless we're not thinking of a major one that is very obvious. Yeah. yeah. It, it it definitely struck me. Like it felt like this is just going to be a love triangle, which through a lot of the middle portion, it feels like this is just a love triangle. But in the end, it's like, it's like that gif. It's like, why not both? You know? <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> that is so true. Yeah. Um So let's talk a little bit about the the plot. This is a very shaggy plot. So Mm -hmm. um, the main thrust of the plot is that these two bank robbers, it's a cute sort of setup in that instead of actually going and holding up a bank, they decide to go the night before to the bank manager's house and basically hold him or her and their families hostage for the night, have dinner, sleep over at the bank manager's house. And then the next morning they all go in together and that's when they do the holdup. So it's, um, it's a cute premise and they are, and of course they become a sensation in the media and they're dubbed the sleepover bandits. And then the framing device of this movie is something that I kind of hate it. It's sort of, um, Uh, a show like America's Most Wanted. I think it's the same guy who used to do America's Most Wanted. And basically he's interviewing them. And then they're going back in flashback and telling us the story of how they came up with the idea, how they met Kate, how they felt those fall, fell in love with her and she couldn't decide on which. So they become this wonderful threesome. Um, What did you think of the framing device?
1: Yeah. That's something that I was going to bring up is I was not a fan of that either. Like, Honestly, even if they just did it in the beginning mm-hmm. and they went back and told the story, I'd be like, okay, well, I've seen this type of thing before, but I don't hate it. It For me, it's the fact that they keep going back to it throughout the movie that really kind of, it felt a little bit lazy and a little bit like you're you're telling us information rather than really like showing because they're talking about things like, oh, friendship and things like that. I, I don't know. It just felt very unnecessary to me. It didn't really add anything of importance here. And it just sort of managed to elongate a movie that I feel is a, a little bit too long.
0: Definitely. It's a little, It's it comes in, at just a little bit more than two hours, but it could have easily been an hour and a half and it would have been yeah. much more fun if it, if it were only nine minutes. And yes, I feel like the shagginess of the second part of, because I felt like once, like the first half of this movie is kind of fun to watch, especially when Kate gets with them and there is like this, as she falls for one and then falls for the other. And like differently, there are two very cute long scenes and how she falls for Bruce and then how she falls for Billy. And all of that is kind of fun. And then she becomes a member of the gang basically and joins Troy Garrity as the other getaway car driver. And that's when the movie Loses its rhythm. It's not funny. It kind of becomes shaggy. What are you doing? And then every kind of ten minutes or so, they go back to that framing device, and I'm like, we don't need this.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I I really don't understand why it's there so much. <laughs> but uh, uh,
0: so uh, Bruce Willis's wig needs to be seen to be believed.
1: <laughs> I mean, there, there's to be fair. There's a lot of wigs in this movie, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that is a choice. <laughs> I mean, Kate has a lot of wigs, um, but she's
0: actually like changing wigs because she's a bank robber. So she every time she goes to one, she changes the wig. But Bruce Willis's wig is apparently his hair. And it's the most unnatural hair I have ever seen. And Bruce Willis himself has yeah. had a lot of wigs in his career, but I don't think any as bad as this one.
1: It truly, I, I don't know what the hair and makeup department were doing here with Bruce. Maybe it's just our own feelings on like Bruce Willis is just kind of this very known bald person yeah. <laughs> that um, that we notice these things, but uh, yeah. And so
0: <laughs> this was post Die Hard. So in Die Hard, oh, yeah. he is balding, not yet bald. Right. He has hair, but it's obviously his natural hair because it's thinning. And, you know, he's a tough guy, so of course he's not wearing wigs. And then later on in his career, he just gave up the wigs and went completely as a bold person, just like me. Um, But maybe this was in the middle period where his hair was still not completely gone, and so he was still trying to wear wigs. And anyway, whoever put that wig on him, I'm sorry. That was not a good look.
1: (laughs) No, just just No. (laughs)
0: I also wanted to ask you, Kevin, what do you think of Billy Bob Thornton in this movie?
1: Mm, yeah, that's this is a performance I definitely went back and forth on while I was watching the film. Like, is he good or is he, like, very mannered and, like, trying to craft this intentionally uh, sort of quirky character out of something that isn't really necessary. I don't know. I think he's very good in roles that are like this, that require him to be a little bit like weird and mannered. But here I was not the biggest fan. I just, maybe part of that is just the writing. Um, it, It felt like they were just kind of going off in these different directions with his character and all of his little, you know, thinking he has a brain tumor and, you know, all, all his little mannerisms. It, it just felt like a, a lot of business mm-hmm. when Absolutely. the movie didn't need that. I don't know.
0: Yeah, totally. There were too many quirks and there was a lot of them, of him telling us about these quirks instead of like yeah. him being afraid <laughs> of something. Like it would have been funnier if there was like a pratfall or a physical comedy thing where he sort of, there is a scene where he talks about how he's scared of antique furniture. And I was like, well, why didn't we have a scene where like, I don't know, they go to a museum, something where, and suddenly he's scared by some antique furniture or something. He falls, something like that. Um, So there's not any of that. And apparently, you know, the antique furniture thing was something that Billy Bob ad-libbed, because that is an actual fear of his
1: in real life. (laughs) Right. I read that. I haven't heard that before, that that (laughs) specific phobia.
0: (laughs) And and that's, uh, that mentioned in the scene where he and Kate are sort of getting together or like finding their chemistry. And what I loved is that she totally goes along with him in that. And she kind of talks about how she also doesn't like anything before 1950s, including black and white movies, which I was like, what?
1: Yeah, you know. I took uh, I took offense to that. <laughs> it feels like sh- that's adding to the discussion people have been having on Twitter these days, of like black and white movies are all racist and sexist, and like I can't watch them. Give them a yeah. chance, Kate. Give yes. them a chance. <laughs> I'm sure Kate uh,
0: Blanchett does give them a chance, but maybe Kate, will of uh, you know, she's way yes. too into Bonnie Tyler to actually
1: have patience for anything else. Yeah, she's stuck in the <laughs> 80s, really. <laughs> Um, I wanted, but to there was actually there was a reference, obviously, to a black and white movie, which is it happened one night with the sort of you know partition between Bruce Willis mm-hmm. and Kate Blanchett. So there is at least a reference to one of those horrible black and white movies.
0: <laughs> and you know, I'm happy you brought up it happened one night because I think what this movie is, it's like as I open this this conversation it's a retreat of many other better movies so you mentioned yeah. it happened one night i think the most obvious one is butch cassidy and the sundance kid yeah. um which is also about two robbers on the run with a woman um who's yeah. kind of into both of them and maybe not either um
1: yeah it's so a little bit of bonnie and clyde totally yes yeah. bonnie and
0: clyde they take from mm-hmm. the they you know, they do the bank robbery, but they give to the poor. In this right. case, they don't really give to the poor, but they, they, uh, they do say this sort of like Robin Hood thing of like they're only um, taking from the government because of insurance and whatever. It's like, it's another scene where I was like, what are you talking about? But anyway, they, they try to make the point that they are Robin Hood-like. Do you think like um, when Barry Levinson and his screenwriter set out to make this movie, like it was that what they were planning to do and how did it go wrong?
1: Wow, that's kind of a loaded question. But um, I agree with the general sentiment there. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think the vibe I got through most of this is that they all just wanted to make a fun movie and they had a good time making it there's these interviews where it's like Kate Blanchett I think is talking about how her and Billy Bob Thornton and Bruce Willis they just had the best time on the set and they just had so much fun and i think they they were honestly just wanting to do little homages to the past because these movies are beloved and they work uh but they very, it very much is a pale imitation of a lot of those movies we've talked about. And without really adding its own twist on that, I guess outside of a little bit of the polyamory stuff. Yeah, It, it you're right. It really is a retread. Yeah, totally. Um,
0: were there any scenes that sort of you liked? You know, we talked about that first scene um, in the car. And that's, yeah. I think that's the best scene in the movie. Is there any any other scene that we haven't talked about that you liked or even one that you have notes on (laughs) (laughs) um
1: well i mean yeah going back to the scene of the two of them and the it happened one night reference with them in bed and like talking about uh you know quoting lyrics of totally clips of the heart and just sort of like adding meaning to them (laughs) i i just thought it was Kind of cute and charming and sort of funny in that way of like when you're bonding with someone and it's you're just getting like super nerdy about something very specific. I, I mean I just thought that was cute. And I thought that her and Bruce Willis did have some pretty solid chemistry. Um yeah. so I I generally like that. And I also liked how Billy Bob Thornton was kind of on the side being like gross. <laughs> you know, he was <laughs> yeah. just not having it. <laughs> yeah. Um so yeah, that's fun. I mean, I do. I did actually like the final little um, stunt that everyone pulled off in the Mm -hmm. end. I thought that that was at least uh, well executed. And I'm like, that's a very smart plan that you guys had. I'm very impressed. So like, I enjoyed the ending itself. Not sure if we want to delve into that too much now, but. uh, I mean, we can delve
0: into it. The movie is 20 years old. We can definitely (laughs) spoil it. It's on HBO Max, if you haven't seen it. But if you're listening to this podcast, why haven't you? Um, Mm. so you can pause right now, go watch it. If you're in the United States, obviously it's, I don't know that where it is in other countries. Um, but so the ending will set it up. So throughout the movie, Troy Garrity, who's their getaway driver is presented as that his main job is that he wants to be a stunt man in Hollywood. And his first sort of introduction is a scene where he's trying some stunts or practicing some stunts. And so he gets to put all of this. This is one of the good things about the screenplay, actually, that they set it up like Chekov's gone in the first introduction of the Troy Gary character. And then it pays off in that final scene. So in the final scene, they go into this elaborate, basically stunt. They are in that, um, they are holding up their hostages. They're in the bank um, trying to rob it. And then they start having a very comical fight. Uh, That's Bruce and Billy Bob. Um, And Kate is outside um, with the other people who are watching this holdup going on. And so this comical fight ends with them shooting at each other until they basically kill each other. But the thing is that they actually didn't kill each other. And this is all fake blood done by the stuntman. And then um, Troy and January Jones, who plays his girlfriend, come in as um, EMC. Yeah, medics. Like, yeah, medics, emergency people, they come and take the bodies, basically, in bags, plus the money. And that's how
1: they all escape. Yeah. I mean, it's a clever plan. I enjoyed watching it. (laughs) (laughs) What can I say? I'm easy. I don't know. (laughs) I'm like, good for them, even though these are very bad people. Yeah. One of those types of movies, really. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, I enjoyed it too, but it's just like the 20 minutes or 30 minutes before that drag the hell out. And so yeah, maybe if you're watching this, watch the beginning and then <laughs> fast forward like 20 minutes and get to the end. Pretty much.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I Um, love that just at the end, they're all just hanging out in Mexico like they always dreamed of. And like nothing bad really happens to them other than the fact that they'll probably be in hiding for the rest of their lives. Um, Yeah, but but it looks nice. Yeah, looks great. And And Kate Kate Blanchett gets to have her polyamorous relationship and everyone's happy.
0: Yeah. And the last scene is, you know, she's between both of them and she kisses both of them. It's it's very polyamory um, positive. Good for bandits. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk about just one more. In, uh, wh- kind of like there are a few memorable quotes that I pulled down and I want to mention. So in that scene that Kevin, you referenced, which is the it happened one night sort of homage. Um, as they were talking about Bonnie Tyler and her lyrics, there is a line there that Kate delivers that it's just so good. He tries to argue with her about like the song and its merits. And she just says like very deadpan, but also so exhausted, you know, don't argue I'm having a really bad day. And that is, I always love, you know, a line that sort of unlocks a movie for me and sort of that movie is really, that line really unlock the character, not the movie, but the character to me is that she's been having a string of very bad days and she's just tired. And that's why meeting these two robbers and, getting into their crazy life does not faze her at all
1: yeah yeah definitely i was definitely curious to see how they would try to explain the motivations for her and why she is continuing to be in this very dangerous situation but uh yeah i mean i I do think lines like that just show her desperation um i mean it's not like it, it this isn't a I feel like things like this, characters like this, are seen a lot in movies of just, like, frustrated housewives who just want a little bit of danger. But uh, I think this is one of the better examples of just, like... I I think it's because she's able to play into it so well that she is kind of a little bit of an upper-middle-class housewife and she's just looking for danger. You know, it it works for what it is.
0: Yeah, it does. Um, Billy Bob, you know, we both talk about how we're not really... Quiet fans of this performance mm-hmm. but he does have one great line in that when when Bruce gets with Kate and he at that point he's not into her he thinks she's going to derail them she's going to slow them why is somebody else coming on this adventure of theirs and so he has this fantastic line which he drops in this sort of like tat very quick way that his character speaks in which is so I'm not doing that I'm just going to read the line Um, Kate's an iceberg waiting for the Titanic, which I thought was very funny, but also very true to the chaos that this woman does bring to
1: their life. Yeah. She's (laughs) totally an iceberg. (laughs) And also out of context, you could read that as Kate Winslet. Yes. Waiting for the (laughs) iceberg, waiting for the, waiting for the Titanic. (laughs) Out Um, of context, but yes, go on.
0: (laughs) So we're gonna take a short break from Bandits and we will be back to that discussion in a minute or two where we'll talk a little bit more about Kate's performance and what this means in the context of her career at the time. But I wanted to ask Kevin a couple of things before we get to that. So next week, I will have a very special episode about an actress who is currently in the running for Oscar this year. So it's not Kate, because we know Kate doesn't have any movies out. She had Mrs. America, but no movies. and so what I'm doing the special episode similar to the one I did about Kate Winslet and Ammonite. It's a surprise, but it's going to be lots of fun. And um, tune in next week. But Kevin, I wanted to ask you, who is your favorite best actor contender for the movies of this Oscar year? Oof.
1: Yeah, well, honestly, there's a lot. So it's really hard to uh, narrow that down to my absolute favorite. Um, it's weird because... This person has won two Oscars already, but my person is Frances McDormand this year, actually, oh. because I truly believe that she has never been better than she is in Nomadland. And I respect her so much as an actress. I mean, I am a very noted Glenn Close Stan, but someone like Frances McDormand is one of those that I truly is like right up there for me in terms of respect. Um, And what she's able to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that playing Fern is just like a culmination of everything she does great as an actress. Um, Just her eyes, the way she carries a conversation, the way she listens. It's a very reactive performance and quite subtle, obviously. But um, I just found so much depth through her performance And and it's part of why Nomadland became my favorite movie of the year, is just she completely carries it from beginning to end. So... That's very much mine. If, even though, like, you know, am I rooting for her? Yes. Will I be upset that she won't win a third one? Not really. She already has two. So it's, like, yeah. a weird situation.
0: Yeah, but. I like Francis, and I like her particularly in this movie, and for all the things that you just mentioned. It is yeah. like sort of a... It's also, like, it's, like, similar to what Anthony Hopkins is doing this year. Somebody who we sort of know... We sort of think we know their screen persona and then they do something completely different. I think what yeah. she does and what he does in their movies this year are are different and showing yeah. and showing a new yeah. side to them, which is, you know, Anthony Hopkins is is in his sixth decade of acting and Francis has been acting since the eighties. What is that? 40 years, 40-something years. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's great that they are still able to surprise.
1: I, I just love when an older actor is able to really provide some of their best work at at their age, I think mm-hmm. that's amazing. So, yeah,
0: my favorite is Andre Day. I have to say, I have been flabbergasted by that performance of her in the United States of the United States versus Billie Holiday. I always feel like I'm a sort of a Lee Daniels apologist because I like his movies and I think that he sort of thrives in chaos. And this movie is no less chaotic than his other movies, but maybe just it didn't come together as, as well as Precious did, for example, which is another movie of his that I love. But I love Underday, and it's, you know, she, she changed her voice to give us the gravely speaking voice of Billie Holiday, she does all the singing, and it's like one of those performances that I talk about with Kate, is that she acts with her whole body, there's a lot of scenes where the camera is on her, and, you know, she gets to play triumphant, she gets to play happy, she gets to play abuse, she gets to play death, and it's all, like, it's such, it gives her so much to do, and I think she rises to the to the occasion. Yeah. But... Next week, we're talking about neither of these actresses. So stay tuned. It's it's not Andre, it's not Frances, but somebody else who will probably be Oscar nominated. And that's why I'm doing the podcast next week to celebrate their Oscar nomination. But Kevin, you do an Oscar podcast and the Mm runner-up is, which is a wonderful podcast. And the premise of the podcast is that you look at the movie that didn't actually win Best Picture, but might have been the runner-up. And you discuss sort of why it didn't win and the merits of the movie. And you finished. You've done all the movies that have not won from 1927. Is it 27 or 20? Yeah, 27 until 2019. So many, many episodes. (laughs) What's next now that you're done? And this is so great. If you haven't listened to the podcast, you should go and listen to it. And it's such an accomplishment. So many movies and so many great podcasts.
1: So many. Well, thank you. And you have been on many times. So if people want to ease their way in after listening to this, you can listen to Murtada talking with me about a letter to three wives um, in the 1949 race. Um, Yeah. It's um it's a very strange feeling to be having done 92 years of Oscar history and to be like wow that's I actually did it that's it's it's insane to me that uh this this past 3 years has kind of flown by um but there's a lot of ideas I'm thinking about right now I actually still haven't settled on one unfortunately I won't be breaking any news today but <laughs> 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 um there certainly is a lot of hope that I will do best actress and figure out who the runner up was of each of those races. I think um,
0: listeners of this podcast would be very interested in that idea.
1: That's I agree. Cause <laughs> also I think Kate Blanchett was definitely a runner up for Elizabeth. So, um, you know, I could have been be- the runner up for Carol. Could have been. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's one idea. There's also the idea of uh, doing the movie that just missed out on a Best Picture nomination mm. each year. So it's kind of like a runner-up to the Best Picture category, essentially. Oh, so instead of like Best Picture uh, runner-up as like a, a nominated film, it's like a runner-up to the actual category. So I like that idea. I like the idea of doing like a mini series on um, actors who have never won an Oscar. Who have always been a bridesmaid, oh, but wow. have never gotten there. So and do you can a series on them you,
0: with your patron saint, Glenn Close.
1: I could. I very well could, <laughs> unless she wins this year. <laughs> yes, I will. I will wait until after April twenty fifth to confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, but uh, yeah, a lot of ideas percolating. Do you have any uh, feedback on that?
0: I mean, I would just say do the best actress because that's the one I will (laughs) smash that listen button every week if you do that. But, you know, I will listen to it no matter what you do because you you do such a great um, job with your podcast. Thank you.
1: I appreciate that. And and you do as well on on this show. And oh. you've been a very good guest, again, on that Letter to Three Wives episode. But I also do bonus episodes for uh, discussing whether the Best Picture runner-up I talked about wasn't, in fact, the runner-up, and decide on Second Thought maybe it was another movie. So I've invited you back for lots of lovely movies, talking about some Merchant Ivories. <laughs> oh,
0: I love Merchant Ivory. Oh, they're so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We talked about the Room with a and the Remains of the Day, two fantastic movies. Yeah, yeah. Ah, so let's go back to Bandits, which is a less fantastic movie, but maybe okay. it has a fantastic performance. So let's talk about Kate a little bit, and then we'll talk a little bit more about Barry Levinson. Um, okay. So, so I think a thesis that I have talked about on this podcast before is that post Elizabeth. Kate, and this movie is definitely in post-Elizabeth because it was three years after Elizabeth. So I'm talking about the period between Elizabeth and the aviator. I think what Kate has been doing in that time is that she was trying to get away from Elizabeth as as far away from Elizabeth as she could get. Like she wanted to do different things in different genres to distance herself from that role. Because I think she didn't want to just be in costume dramas for the rest of her career, which is why she played a lot of modern movies like this and Pushing Tin and um, The Gift. And she was trying different things. She was trying thrillers. She was trying horror. And I think this was her attempt at (laughs) rom-com. But what does it say? about this movie that she never tried a rom-com again. <laughs> Cuz <'Cause> I, <laughs> I think coming right after this she was one of the many actresses considered for Bridget Jones's Diary and I don't know if she turned it down or it just did, or why it didn't happen, but what we know for sure is that she never did another rom-com.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow, I never even realized that that's that's actually true. Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's intentional or not. It's it's hard to say. Hmm.
0: I mean, she did sort of like grand romance movies like Carol and Benjamin Bond, right, which the, the central thesis of those movies is the romance, but it's, it's never in a sort of comedic atmosphere like this movie or like what we think of as a rom-com, which this, you know, despite the bank robbery and uh, America's Most Wanted sort of premise, it's still, I think, the heart of it and the part of it that works best is the, ro- is the sort of rom-com part. Yeah. Um, and I always sort of like one other thing that, you know, talking to my guests on this podcast that we have sort of arrived at a conclusion at is that Kate has better chemistry with women than with men oh, Yeah. Um, yep. <laughs> on screen, whether they're antagonistic, like in not of a Scandal, or whether they're in love, like in Carol, or whether they're friends, like in Ocean's Eight, it's just like she thrives and m- makes the women who are acting with her better and she is better when she's acting against them. So maybe, you know, combined with the fact that this movie didn't work, her her attempt at rom-com, plus maybe she recognized she works better with women and she's like, no more rom-coms.
1: Yeah well actually thinking about it now i feel like oceans eight is almost like the closest comparison you could make to to bandits really Mm -hmm. where it's not like an overt romance but there's certainly a lot of chemistry happening with her and sandra bullock that people have read into um so yeah and dealing with like the criminal element and it's you know it's a fun sensibility it's not like a period drama or a lot of Mm -hmm. other movies she's associated with so that's. I feel like Ocean's Eight is a little bit like we're coming back to our bandits roots here.
0: Yeah, and you yeah. know what? You should do something else with, is with Sandra Bullock. You know, maybe yeah. if they want to do Ocean's Nine, great, we would love it. Or if they just want to do something else with the both of them,
1: um, absolutely. Yeah, because I feel like she is still an actress who people associate with drama mostly. Yeah, and she is inherently a very funny person. And she could play these kinds of performances so well that I wish there were more of them.
0: Yeah. And, you know, her bread and butter and what she's best at is sort of the women unraveling thing, which she does in like, yeah. Blue Jasmine and In Juice, yeah. which you and I have talked about before. Yep. And sh- and here, this is, I think, is the blend of the woman unraveling because Kate Wheeler is unraveling, but also mm-hmm. she's funny and she's like wants to go out and have adventures and fall in love and seduce men and, you know, live in a polyamorous life. So it's a blend of what she does best with a comedy. I just think a better script would have made this, I think, one of her better performances.
1: Yeah. And I would almost hazard to say that a better script could have gotten her an Oscar nomination. <laughs>
0: totally, because <laughs> she did get some awards. Um, yep. for this. We're, we'll talk about the awards in a little bit. And I have a quiz for Kevin about awards because he's the awards. He's my awards guru. He's, he's the person I look out to see his predictions and I'm be like, hmm, well, Kevin said maybe that will happen.
1: Ugh, so, so much pressure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you
0: will. This quiz will be too easy for you. You will get it. Okay. Um, okay. But first, before we get to that, let's talk about Barry Levinson a little bit. So Barry Levinson, I think his heyday was the late 80s. This movie came in 2001. So basically a decade after his heyday. That was where movies like Good Morning Vietnam, Rain Man, Bugsy, all the way through to Wag the Dog. And these are movies like with huge, big movie stars, Dustin Hoffman, Robin Williams, Annette Benning, Warren Beatty, um, Robert De Niro. Um, And they were all successful, both critically and with awards to some degree. Um, They were definitely all nominated for Oscars and Rain Man obviously won Best Picture and won him Best Director. And then came, you know, after that, like came this movie, which I think was his, if you look at his, his filmography, this was basically the last time that he made a big star driven movie. And then after that, he did some TV stuff, which is still with stars like Michelle Pfeiffer and whatever. He's, he's always worse with big stars. But it's mostly like HBO movies and sort of movies that nobody sees. <laughs> like they are released, but nobody sees them. So this yeah. is, I think, the start of the decline, unfortunately, for Barry Levinson.
1: Yeah, just looking at it now, this really is the last time he really sort of hit in terms of like this is a big barry levinson movie coming out with big stars and it might have a little bit of oscar buzz but uh unfortunately after that we have things like man of the year which certainly didn't go much of anywhere (laughs) um rock the casbah Mm. um but yeah there's certainly a lot of hbo tv movies that just like show up at the emmys in the tv movie category and you're like i don't know anyone who's seen that but okay (laughs) Yeah, totally. And what I was thinking about, because he's in the news right now, like, um, we're,
0: you know, like just this week, there was another casting announcement for this movie that he wants to make about the making of The Godfather. And he has Oscar Isaac as Francis Ford Coppola, he has Jake Gyllenhaal as Robert Evans, Elizabeth Moss as Eleanor Coppola, and he just, it was announced that Elle Fanning will be playing Allie McGraw, who was married to Evans at the time um, of the making of the Godfather. And then of course left him for Steve McQueen. So it's a movie about a big sort of cultural event. And it seems like it's an actual big budget movie with major stars, which he hasn't done basically since Bandit. So is Barry Levinson <laughs> coming up
1: for a comeback? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. This this feels like one of those movies that people might be predicting for uh little bit of Oscar buzz and then it comes out and it's like fine and it doesn't yeah. go anywhere.
0: <laughs> you know, you've nailed it in the head. I think I just don't trust the man who made just the last decade of stuff. The yeah. couple of that you mentioned <laughs> and, you know, things like the humbling and mm-hmm. I don't know, Paterno and the wizard of lies, which I think that one was about, it was an HBO TV movie and it was, about Bernie Madoff, and that was probably the one that's that was the most successful of these. But I just don't think this man would be able to then turn the story about The Godfather into something that just audiences now in 2021 are gonna love and admire. I, I can't believe it.
1: Yeah. It it feels like it's gonna be like it's hard to really predict these things because we haven't it hasn't even like, I don't even think it's gone into production. <laughs> no, it's just cast but announcement, yeah. Just based on him and what we've seen from the past decade it feels like it's just going to be like a trumbo where it's like yeah there you go it's it's here it's fine It's competent. That's really the kind of major thing I've felt with Barry Levinson, even in his heyday when he's winning an Oscar. It's just like a very workmanlike competent director Mm -hmm. who has some big hits. Clearly he won an Oscar, but he also has some pretty clear misses as well. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if it ever really treads into like really bad territory, but um, it's hard for me to be like excited about a Barry Levinson movie. Yeah.
0: He has directed some exciting performances. Like, I think yeah. Robin Williams in Good Morning Vietnam is very exciting. Very funny in that movie. And that movie sort of lives and dies by his performance. And he, mm-hmm. he's great. And I think Annette Bening in Bugsy is also very exciting. So mm-hmm. um, he knows how to cast, at least. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's that.
0: <laughs> yeah. uh, so we... so. Let's talk about awards. So this movie surprisingly got some awards. So Kate yeah. Blanchett was nominated for at the Golden Globes for Best Actress in a Comedy. And then at the Screen Actors Guild, she was put in Supporting and was nominated as a Supporting Actress. Um, at the Golden Globes, also Billy Bob Thornton was nominated as Best Actor in a Comedy. Um, I would have nominated Bruce Willis if he had to nominate somebody from this movie. But okay, <laughs> he had the flashier role. I get it.
1: Very much so. And he's much more respected than Bruce Willis is. <laughs> yeah.
0: And this is actually my point. Like, Thornton was so hot in 2000, 2001. Like, he was coming off his Oscar win for Sling Blade. He was just in Armageddon. He got another Oscar nomination for a simple plan. That's only in the three years before this movie. And right. so that's probably why he was nominated. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quiz you a little bit about these things, these awards.
1: Oh god. Okay.
0: So one of my favorite awards because they are crazy um is the National Board of Review.
1: <laughs> yes. And I love them.
0: <laughs> the National Board of Review in 2001 gave gave Billy Bob Thornton best actor and they cited three movies. They do that all the time. When the award is really for one movie but then they'll just cite the other movies released. So they cited him for The Man Who Wasn't There, the mm-hmm. Coen Brothers movie, and for a Monsters, and for a Monsters Ball. But also they added, they just threw in bandits too. So officially he won for th- these three movies. Um, also a winner that year at the National Board of Review is Kate Blanchett as Best Supporting Actress. But she had basically four movies released in 2001. And the National Board of Review cited the other three and didn't cite Bandits. I don't know why did they hate this performance? Did okay. they just <laughs> not think she was a supporting actress, that she was a lead, and that's why they didn't cite her? Anyway. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> so my question to you, Kevin, is mm-hmm. what are the three movies that she won Best Supporting Actress from NBR in 2001
1: for? Uh, okay, um... Well, one of them, I guess, is the Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, That's right? That's correct, yes. It yes. feels like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's very good in those. I don't think she's, like, awards-worthy, but certainly stands out. Um, I know she was in the Shipping News. Is That's that one? number
0: two, yes, absolutely. Okay.
1: <laughs> okay. Um, I'm struggling with a third one, if it's not Bandits. It's um, <laughs>
0: If you follow this podcast, it's a movie we've discussed recently.
1: Oh dear. Okay. Well, I haven't listened lately, so that's telling. <laughs> um.
0: <laughs> the movie is The Man Who Cried, which is the Harry oh. Potter movie. Okay. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. that's right. <laughs> but, um, and this is actually, it's it's, a, it's not a good movie. 2001 was, <laughs> you know, Lord of the Rings aside, it wasn't a great year for Kate. Um but her performance in The Man Who Cried is amazing. And it's such a star turn. And I think of the movie cited by the NBR, it should, they should have just given it to her for The Man Who Cried because she is amazing and deserved all the awards for that one. So listeners, if you haven't listened to that episode, go listen to it. And will you hear me, um, with my guest Nathaniel, talk about why she deserved to win that award. All right, Kevin. Are you an expert on the Screen Actors
1: Guild Award, the SAG? Uh, Probably more than the average person. So (laughs) I'll say yes. (laughs) Okay. So I
0: have two questions for you about Kate's SAG history. So Kate has 15 SAG nominations, from her first nomination for Elizabeth to her last nomination this year for Mrs. America. Um, 15... But six of them she received as part of an ensemble. So the Screen Actors Guild gives this award um, to a movie. Instead of Best Picture, their award is called Best Ensemble, and they give it to the actors, all of them together. So she has been nominated six times. What are the movies?
1: Ooh, fun. Um, (laughs) Let's see. Well, I, I guess it's probably all three Lord of the Rings movies. Correct. That's half. Right yeah so we're already halfway there (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i want to say i'm not positive on it but i think she got the ensemble for curious case of benjamin button she
0: did absolutely that's four two left to go
1: okay um the aviator
0: yes absolutely all right you're almost there one more
1: Oh boy. Okay. Well, it could be a lot of them. I actually don't know the last one for sure. Unfortunately.
0: Okay, do you want a clue? Sure. It was nominated at at the Oscars for best picture.
1: Ugh, well, <laughs> could be uh, quite a few movies from a few different decades. <laughs> right. Can we narrow ne- down the decade? Is that too much of a hint? It's the odds. Okay. Okay. Oh, Babel! Yes, it is yes. Babel. Oh, Kevin! Well done! You got yes. all
0: six with no wrong guesses. All right.
1: Yeah, I sometimes I forget about Babel. Yeah, she's <laughs> she's part of that ensemble. She, she was
0: nominated, and yeah. um, yeah. so which is a movie we haven't discussed on this podcast. But you know we've discussed The Aviator and Benjamin Button and Lord of the Rings. Um, so my next question to you: How many? of these ensembles actually won the big prize as best ensemble of the year at SAG, which adds to Kate's SAG hole. How many do you think won? And what are they? Mm.
1: Oh boy, how many won and what are they? Okay. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Two part question, <Ooh>. Kevin.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um well I know that she won for Return of the King. Yes. Because absolutely. that was part of the big to do at the Oscars, of course. Yeah, I don't think she won for either of the first two. No, I don't know if you can confirm or deny that. <laughs> no, I can
0: confirm that um, that okay. is
1: true. Okay. Do you think so, she has won
0: another ensemble of the think. movies that that's left, which are Benjamin Button, Babble, and The Aviator? Did any of them you think won Best Ensemble?
1: Well, Slumdog Millionaire won in two thousand eight, so it can't be Benjamin Button. Yes. Um, and two thousand six uh Little Miss Sunshine won, so it can't be Babel. Okay, that is true. So it's the Aviator.
0: What was up against the Aviator? Did the Aviator win?
1: Oh. <laughs> um oh, isn't didn't Sideways win? Sideways won. Yes, so it's absolutely. just one. Yeah, so yes. it's just one. <laughs> okay
0: process it's of a elimination
1: re- there you go okay
0: <laughs> it's the return of the king so kate has one ensemble sag and two individual sags the same as her oscar for blue jasmine and the aviator not bad you know until i looked this up to quiz you i thought the aviator won and i totally forgot about sag <laughs> i totally forgot about
1: sideways <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway yep. kevin well done you did so well thank in the you place. Thank you. Other than uh, the man who cried, but yes. that's okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, so is there anything else that you want to say about bandits?
1: Um. The only other thing I wanted to mention is the soundtrack because... <laughs> Yes, I f- truly like this is one of those things that immediately dates a movie yeah. to a very specific point in time. And the multiple uses of Beautiful Day by you 2 <laughs> is really like we are exactly <laughs> in 2001, aren't we? <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I was, I was watching and Shazamming at the same
0: time. I completely was like, I was like um, watching with Philip. And we were both saying like, what is this song? It's so familiar. We know it. But he didn't yeah. figure it out until we had we had to Shazam. A little bit of laziness on us. Maybe if we had listened a little bit more,
1: we would have recognized. It.
0: <laughs> and there's also that song, Superman, something that was also yeah, good.
1: yeah, by Five for Fighting. My yeah. God, I have not heard that since 2004. <laughs> so I was, but it's like suddenly it just brought me all back. Yeah,
0: you yeah. know, I really think they should have just made the
1: whole soundtrack bonnie tyler songs that would have been so yes. much more fun <laughs> absolutely <laughs> that would be that would be very distinct sound i would like that a lot
0: okay. yeah um so i have a couple of questions for you to close the, the the episode okay so which of kate's upcoming movies are you most looking forward to so She's, she finished Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley, which is a remake. And if you've seen the original, you kind of know what her part is. I have. And it's a great, big, juicy part. And I'm excited to see her do it. She's going to be an evil psychiatrist. And she's going to go um, up against Bradley Cooper. And that's going to be exciting to see. Um, she's about to start doing the um, Borderlands, which is a game adaptation with Eli Ross, who directed the only movie of Kate Blanchett that I haven't yet seen. The house was the clocks. Um, So I'm like, that's not the re-team I want from you, Kate. I want you to bring back to Scorsese or Todd Haynes. Um, Yes. But fine. If you liked it, you want to do this, great. And then the third one which he's going to shoot later this year is James Gray's Armageddon Time. And James Gray is a director I really love. And so I'm excited for that. But what about you, Kevin?
1: Uh, well, really, all of them. I'm just always curious to see a Kate Blanchett performance, but definitely Nightmare Alley. I'm so excited to see what she does with Guillermo del Toro and that incredible cast, including reunited with Rudy Mara. Yeah. Hello, incredible! Yeah. But and... like, yeah, Bradley Cooper, there's Tony Collette, Willem Dafoe. It's it's a stacked cast, and I'm I'm very excited to see her in this kind of a thriller, darker mode. Yeah. Yes, we love evil Kate. And
0: yes. <laughs> um, and so one other movie that she was sort of attached to for like six, seven years and we kept hearing, it's coming, it's coming, but she's not doing it is the Lucille Ball movie that Aaron Sorkin is doing and surprise, surprise, it's Nicole Kidman now playing Lucille Ball. So
1: yeah, we swapped out Australians.
0: It. Yes, <laughs> only Australians can play Lucille Ball. Um, Apparently. <laughs> but, you know, I'm obviously more of a fan of Kate, but I think Kate would have done a better job. She has done more comedy. Her face is more closer to what Lucille Ball looked at. And I think she could definitely do a better American accent. That's for sure. That's one thing she can do better than Nicole Kidman. Um, Mm -hmm. But why do you think she she dropped out? Let's speculate. We have no information. I don't, and I don't think Kevin, you do, but let's just
1: speculate. (laughs) No I yeah, that's uh, i I was definitely looking forward to this, even though it feels like it's been truly like years in the making since it's been yeah. announced, but uh, I don't know, Aaron Sorkin, who knows if I mean, I don't know what the relationship is there, maybe uh, maybe things just evolved in the process of writing and producing it that she didn't like the direction it was going into, yeah, um I mean again, this is all speculation, so yeah, I have well, no actual information. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I have I have neither. But I also blame Aaron Sorkin. Remember Aaron Sorkin, the year of when Kate won her Oscar for Blue Jasmine? Um, and it was the year of the Sony hack, or the year after was the year of the Sony hack. And in the Sony hack, they found this email from him about the Oscars, where he said that he was comparing Kate to Matthew McConaughey. And he said something, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically, like the winner of Best Actress has to do so much more than the winner of Best Actress, who just gets an easy walk. And I'm just like, have you seen those two movies and performances, no. Aaron Sorkin? So I don't know. So I didn't really want her to work with him anyway. Um, and then the other thing, I'm just not a fan of The Trial of the Chicago 7. So me neither. for me for me to then have to care about an Aaron Sorkin movie, I'm kind of, frankly, quite happy. I don't have to care about an Aaron Sorkin movie coming up.
1: <laughs> Kate Blanchett only works with good directors.
0: Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Kevin, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for coming back on Sundays with Kate. I always enjoy talking
1: to you. Yeah, thanks for inviting me back. This was fun. You gave me a good excuse to watch Kate Blanchett, you know, lip syncing to Bonnie Tyler songs, so I appreciate it. (laughs)
0: Uh, Before we go, let our listeners know where they can find you and your work.
1: Well, you could find me on Twitter at Kevin underscore Jacobson. Um, as was mentioned, I do have a podcast, so you can listen to "92 Years of Oscar History" that I recapped there. So plenty to catch up on there. At uh, and the runner-up is where it's, which is everywhere you can find podcasts, and you can also find my writings and my interviews with various um, contenders for this year's Oscars at GoldDerby.com. Thank you, Kevin.
0: And you can find me on Twitter at M-E underscore says and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Sundays We Skate. All previous episodes of the podcast and show notes are at SundaysWeSkate.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And until next time, thank you for listening.